Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We are in Mark chapter 12 as Caleb Wright brings us the message, Surrender is the Way of Life. This is a bit of a new experience for me. Uh, Last time I preached, you all were like 100 yards away. So um, I am much more used to a small group of youth kids. So if you want to giggle to your neighbor and maybe make a joke to me in the middle of uh, my talk here, that would make me feel much more comfortable. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Paul Frederick came up here and uh, he got up and he said, All right, Hollyview, time to lower your expectations. Which is funny because uh, Paul Frederick is actually one of the best teachers I've ever listened to. But today I'm actually asking you to actually <laughs> lower your expectations. So um, uh, it's the new year. We're in between uh, series right now. Um, and so today we are dropping down into the middle of Mark's gospel. Um, this uh, scripture has been... Uh, very, uh, I've been chewing on it for a while, and uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's convicted me, and it has encouraged me as well, and so my hope for today is that it will do the same for you as uh, we look at it. So um, with that, would you stand with reverence uh, for the reading of God's Word this morning? We are in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, if you want to pull out a pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can actually take that one home, the one that's in your pew. Um, That's our gift to you. And they, being the chief priests, sent to him, Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, that you not do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and they said to him, Or he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I'm going to stop right there. Um, Let's bow our heads in prayer real quick. Oh, our Father, uh, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for this wonderful day that you have made. Thank you for uh, your church and this time to gather together and worship you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be moved uh, to you, that our hearts would be softened, that our ears would be opened, and um, that you would speak to us through this message. Lord, I pray that you would uh, 
that my words would be your spirit's and not my own, that if I fumble around and I uh, flub the whole thing today, Lord, that I just point to you, Jesus. Um, and uh, yeah, I pray this would be an encouragement to everyone here, and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can go have, have a seat. Um, so, one of my favorite movies of all time, probably top two, is um, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. You may have just watched it for Christmas, right? Uh, as in, Richard Vance, who's watched that movie, right? Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty popular movie. It was played on TV a lot uh, in the 70s and, and through the 90s when we actually watched TV. Um, uh, so It's a Wonderful Life. I was talking to a friend about this uh, recently. Yeah, <laughs> I was talking to a friend recently uh, about this movie, and uh, he was like, Oh, yeah, isn't that uh, that movie with the guy who's running around uh, the town screaming, I'm back, uh, in the snow like a crazy person? I was like, yeah, that's the movie, but there's like a whole movie leading up to it, to that, because it's the end, right? Um, and so uh, I'm not going to spo- I'm not gonna spoil the details for you, but I will spoil the ending. Um, <laughs> it's been out for like almost 80 years, so sorry. What had gotten uh, that screaming man, George, to the point of running around the town screaming, I'm back, was that George was actually a man with uh, big dreams. He wanted to become somebody. He wanted to be um, somebody of importance, somebody who uh, shook the dust of his crummy little town and uh, did something with his life, right? Um, But through various circumstances, George... uh, ends up surrendering up his dreams and his desires and gives himself up over for his friends and his uh, family, uh, which leaves him feeling like a failure at the end, like he did nothing with his life. Uh, And so he kind of spirals down into a depression. Well, tensions hit their peak, and uh, he owes a very large debt, and uh, the authorities are coming for him. He's facing jail time. And he's at the point of thinking of killing himself. Uh, when an angel shows up, Clarence, Clarence, um, and he, <laughs> I love Jimmy Stewart. Uh, he, Clarence shows up and, and shows him actually what his life would have been like if he were never born. And it's, uh, it's dark, it's gruesome, it's, uh, you know, nothing, like, it's worse than he could have ever imagined. Uh, but he actually sees that uh, his, uh, that what he had, all of his actions that he thought were meaningless and didn't do anything had actually impacted everyone's lives. That actually the whole town had been impacted by his selfless acts. Um, and so finally, driven to his wits end, the, the reality he does not recognize, he yells, I want to live again! I want to live again! And everything changes back, right? Bert drives up. You know me, Bert? Zuzu Spettles! Is quoted often in my house growing up. This is the moment that George runs around the town like a crazy person. Yeah, I'm back, right? Um, which there's a whole great movie leading up to it, but it is a great moment. He is overjoyed to be alive. Um, but his circumstances haven't changed. He still faces jail time. He uh, still has to pay the debt. And um, 
actually one of my favorite moments is uh, when George runs home after he's run through the town. He runs home and he, <laughs> he runs into his house and he's met there by the, the authorities, the bank teller and the bank examiner. And um, they, they, when he's met with accusations and, uh, and papers to serve to him, uh, he interrupts and he's, I'll bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. That's, uh, I, I just love it. George has realized that uh, the richness in his life uh, was in the people who love him. As at the end, Clarence writes in, in the book, uh, no man is a failure who has friends. He finds that actually when he had surrendered up his idea of being great and important, he finds what, was, what he thought was empty and meaningless is actually full of life. That actually greatness and importance uh, was right under his nose this whole time in his crummy little town, in being mundane, in giving up yourself for your friends. And so um, I'd like you to imagine with me uh, finding that a whole wonderful life was right underneath your nose the whole time that you felt like a failure. Uh, Being so overjoyed that you ran through the streets of downtown Gresham yelling and screaming with the joy that you had found. Now, um, in the same way that George Bailey, uh, when he surrenders up his idea of what being great was uh, to the mundane and smallness of of his life uh, and finds joy and fullness in the end, uh, today we are going to see that surrendering to God leads to fullness of life. That there is actually a full and wonderful life right under your noses. Um, now, maybe you're thinking, I'm about to preach a sermon about giving more time, giving more money, having more faith, and that God will make you healthy and wealthy and bless you all to your greatest dreams. Amen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've heard this message a hundred times. Surrender to God, stop being at war with God kind of thing. Um, but I actually want to cut through all of that. And I want to ask, what does it actually look like to surrender to God? What does fullness of life actually look like? In our text today, uh, we are going to see Jesus in the fullness of life in surrender in alignment with God the Father. Um, By his words and example, we will see that there is actually a security we find in surrender, that there is actually an identity through surrender, and that there is a full and good life right under your nose through surrendering to him. So, let's look at our text. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. The security of surrender. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? We'll stop right there. Um, So like I said, we're dropping into the middle of Mark's gospel. This is kind of the, the direct middle, almost. 
Um, and so in the whole like story of Mark, this is the section where uh, Jesus, several people, uh, groups of power and authority are coming to Jesus and he's being questioned, tested, and challenged, right? So the first part was miracles, Jesus being tested, and then he goes up to Jerusalem uh, to go to the cross. Um, so uh, the, the Herodians who, who are who are here, they're, they're King Herod's dudes, right? Uh, we don't really know a ton about them. Um, and then the, the Pharisees are sent by the, the chief priests, their, uh, their gang members or whatever, uh, to entrap Jesus in his talk, right? Like, oh, if we, we just cut up this interview with him, we can make him say that he, he hates widows and orphans and puppies, right? Um, but, uh, but Jesus, from the get-go, is firm and grounded. He knows their hearts and their schemes. It says that he is not swayed by appearances, or as uh, some translations have it, that he does not look to the face of men, but truly teaches God's ways and truth. Jesus is secure in his purpose and in his relationship with the Father. It is clear that Jesus relies on the Father for all that he needs. We actually see this throughout all of the Gospels. Um, Jesus knows his purpose. He's assured of the Father's love for him. Um, He is firm and secure and looks to God to sustain him in all things. He is not lacking in anything, which makes him confident before men when accused. Now, uh, we often, even the the most confident of us uh, and secure of us, react in defensiveness, right? Um, In fact, I might go as far as to say that humanity uh, operates out of a place of insecurity and feeling uh, like we don't have enough. That's why we obsess about cars and careers and having enough and being poor could possibly be the worst thing ever. Um, uh, we, we are often afraid that God will not give us what we need. Uh, we, are in, we are often insecure about uh, who we are, what we're doing in our work and in our families and in relationships, what our role is. Now, Jesus is fully human. I don't know if you know that. He is fully God and fully human, so that means he wrestles with all of the same temptations that we do. Um, and I am sure, I've, I've put it on pretty good authority, God's word, that, uh, that I'm sure he felt that temptation too, that, uh, that the temptation of lack and, and feeling insecure, will God actually provide for me? Will he sustain me in all these things? But Jesus has given up his will and looks to the Father and not to men. In this, we see the security of surrender. Jesus leads the way. Um, And and actually, through him, we have this security in God our Father, too. Uh, As Paul says in Romans, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are made right with our Maker... I want to ask you, what else do we have to worry about? Like, really, what else do we have to worry about if, if we are right with God? 
um, through Jesus, we actually now have access to that security and, and, and that, um, that assuredness in the Father through Jesus. What would it look like if Christians were to live so confident in our security with God that uh, when the world starts going crazy um, and we face difficulty, say, I don't know, like a pandemic or something like that, um, just that, uh, that was random, um, that we actually, Christians are known for being steady. Like, what would that look like, that we were known for being a steady present in uncertain times and shaky trial. Now, there are a lot of people in this church, uh, a lot of older folks, who uh, I think are a good example of this, and uh, I'm going to embarrass one of them right now uh, a little bit. Dean Gonerman is someone who I, th- I see as a great example of someone who is secure in the Lord and his faithfulness, someone who is actively surrendering his life to the Lord. Now, uh, Maybe it's because he's nearing his, is it 204th birthday? <laughs> just kidding. Um, Dean, Dean is, is just cool like that. He is chill with God. Um, I actually remember this conversation I had with him in the middle of the pandemic that really, uh, that really impacted me. And uh, Dean, I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, but uh, this is, uh, it, really, it really impacted me. Uh, we were talking about the pandemic and everything that was going on. I'm reading the news saying, all right, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. The end of the world is here. And, um, you know, nobody knows what's going on. And I just remember him telling me about the polio epidemic that happened when he was a kid. And uh, Dean just had this, this way about him that was, uh, he was, he was not shaken. He was steady. He, uh, it, I, he didn't say it, but it, there was just this way about him. It was like, yeah, this is... This is nothing new. Like there is, you know, as the Bible says, there's nothing new under the sun. I've seen this before. And actually in that, it was just a resting in God's faithfulness that I saw in him that I was like, all right, I, I want to I wanna be like this guy. I, want, I, I don't want to be phased by all of this stuff. And, and if he's, he knows where to get that confidence and security, I want it. This is the security we see that we, that we have in the Lord, that I think we see Jesus living out in this passage, um, that we see Dean copying Jesus in, and I think we should copy too. All right, number two, the surrender of identity, verse 15. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? I imagine that he he held it in front of their face like that. And they said to him, Caesar's? Jesus said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now, um, there was actually a controversy you should probably you, you would uh, need to know about at the time um, about paying taxes to the Roman government or to Caesar right um, for several reasons uh, the the Roman taxes were uh, asserted their rule and subjection over Israel right um, 
Roman taxes were tied up in the worship of pagan gods, in uh, the sacrifices that went to those pagan gods. It funded their military. It funded uh, their judiciary uh, dudes with like being up, you know, like Herod, people like Herod. Uh, it gave them money to do all the lavish things that they did. Um, and so, and actually the, the Roman denarii coins, I think we have a picture of it. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Um, which was, it was about a day's wages at the time. Um, these, these, these coins were often stamped with the image of a god or king. And actually, uh, the Roman kings of the time were often deified. They became gods themselves. Gods. Um, kings like Caesar Augustus, uh, C- Julius Caesar, and Caesar Tiberius, who was king at the time of Jesus. So this is, you can, I think you can actually buy them online too. They're, they're, there's a lot of them. They're floating around. Um, so these coins that were flowing around, floating around the ancient world were stamped with the image of a Roman god. Now keep that in the back of your mind for just a minute. So all this taxes and uh, paying to Caesar really rubs against what the Jews believe, right? Um, because they are supposed to be a nation that is set apart, right? They are not supposed to be under foreign oppression. Why else did God bring us out of Israel? Why else did God bring us out of Babylon? Just using Rome's coin with Caesar's image on it, put Rome's lordship and hung it over your head, right? Like you can't even buy dinner without Caesar's ugly face being involved, right? So Jesus is backed into a corner because if he says you should pay, t- uh, if he says you should pay taxes, he's seemingly going against Jewish law. And the Pharisees can have Adam and say, false teacher. Um, If he says, no, don't pay taxes, the Herodians can report him to the Roman IRS. Okay? What would that be? Like uh, institution Roman security something? I don't know. Um, And they could have him jailed or killed for it, right? Um, So this is is what's at stake for Jesus uh, answering this. They are being crafty little snakes. You can see that the chief priests organize the whole thing. They're like, oh, we're going to get him so good. But Jesus, being the boss man that he is, uh, works a feat of mental gymnastics by sort of jumping over their question and uh, flipping it on its head and answering their question with a, ca- with a question and actually like pointing it back on the Pharisees. Um, so Jesus asks for a denarius coin, and he asks, whose image does this coin bear on it? Now, if you're a Jew in Israel, uh, you would know the whole Torah by heart by the time you were like 12 or 13, um, like your favorite song, right? Like, like many of you know uh, Country Road by, uh, by John Denver, right? Um, you would, know it, you would know it by heart, like your favorite song. Your ears would perk up when you hear words or phrases that are similar. So when Jesus says the word image, it's going to pop up. Genesis is hardwired into your brain. In the beginning, where God forms this whole world and begins to fill it, and on the sixth day he says, let us make man in our 
image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Humanity was made, formed, stamped, you might say, in the likeness and image of Yahweh, which we call the Imago Dei, coming from the Latin. Um, This is what makes human life valuable. Where every other pagan god's images were metal, stone, or wood, the living god's images were flesh, blood, bone, and breath. Yahweh is the creator of living things. So Jesus is being very intentional uh, by comparing the denarius with the image of Caesar, the little god on it, and the humans stamped with the image of the living God on it. So when Jesus is asked, should we pay taxes? Jesus replies, sure. Give to Caesar his image bearer. But more importantly, give to Yahweh his human. This is the identity. What has given humanity value. If there is any eternal uh, value in humans that God sees, It is his image in us. There is nothing of ourselves that is of value without Yahweh. What God's design gives us all the value, purpose, identity we could ever want and need. It is actually, I think, the truest thing about us, the thing that never stops being true. And it confronts every other made-up identity we try to take upon ourselves. Right? Like, I could build my identity around my abilities, my musical talents, my ability to do a rip-roaring guitar solo, um, my ability to tell amazing jokes, right? I'm the funny guy. I could build it on my job. I could build uh, build it on, you know, anything, whatever it is. Uh, But all those things will fail me. Right? If I get sick, lose my voice, can't sing, break my fingers, can't play guitar, I'm no longer a guitar player. Though all those things are insecure and unstable. Our security is in God's image that he made us in. It is the most secure. From our mother's womb to the grave, that fact, being made in the image of God, never stops being true. This is what makes murder and sin and slaughter of humans so wrong. Because we are defacing a living God's image. But to believe that, to believe that we are made in God's image, we have to surrender up every other identity, image, and idol we make up for ourselves to live God's intention for us. To accept the Imago Dei within you is to reject all other identities. This is the surrender of identity. Are you with me? So maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it, that like in theory, made in the image of God, like all this stuff, like I, I know this, but like what does that look like practically? Like how do, we, how do we live that out? And that brings us to our third point, the life in surrender. And we're going to uh, take it from verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is the crux, the pinnacle, the finishing move of this little story. Um, Now, I've been using the word surrender uh, a lot. Uh, When we read it, it said render. Different translations use uh, some different different things, but they aren't aren't wildly different. Uh, To render just means to give over, give up a service or currency. But when Jesus says, give to God the things that are God's, he is not just talking about money anymore. It's not even about it at all. This, suddenly, this, this little trick question about taxes uh, gets flipped around on its head, and actually the core uh, for God's intention for humanity is revealed. This is a little story, but I think it is so big and rich with meaning and impact. Um, Give up, give over, surrender to God the things that are God's. If we are made in his image, we are made by him, we are his children. The Bible often refers to us as his children, being coming from him, him forming us. Um, But that belonging, that identity that God has made us in also has a role, purpose, right? A function, the way he designed us. In Genesis, when God makes humans, he has a perfect design for them, for their flourishing. He takes humans and he places them in a garden and he sets up life for them, right? And uh, his intention was for humans to be in close relationship with him. Uh, to be in his presence and God dwelling with us, walking and talking with him, to look to him for all that we need, to look to him to sustain us. And that actually we would partner with God uh, in ruling creation and cultivating the garden and the rest of the world. That actually that, that Eden, the Edenic blessing would then flow out into the rest of the world. Um, and so God's intention for humanity was to be in surrender to him, our life given to him and his will. And he calls it good. God defines what is good. God's design is for humans to be connected to the source of life and goodness himself. But, spoiler alert, doesn't go so well. Um, instead of waiting for God to take for themselves, Adam and Eve operate out of a place of insecurity, a place of lack. They think God is holding back from them, that he's not giving them what they need. And the serpent comes in and he just presses on that. And he says, did God really say that? If you eat this fruit, He doesn't want you to eat it because then you'll be like him. But this ideal is to be in step with God and in in his will. So when Jesus says, give to God what is God's, he is calling back to this ideal. In so few words, Jesus says a lot. Right? Like that money might be Caesar's, but your life, is God's. 
There's almost a calling out there, right, to the Pharisees and the the scribes. You're worried about paying taxes to a false god you don't believe in, to money that's not even yours, and you're less worried about actually following your creator who stamped you with his image. Jesus will actually later in this passage call the Pharisees and scribes out for lifting themselves up above everyone else, for being lofty and prideful and taking money from themselves and actually taking advantage and abusing poor widows. Um, What a gut punch, right? And it says that they marveled at him. I don't know that that's a marvel of like, whoa, Jesus, you're so cool. I mean, it might be, but it also might be like, ooh, that kind of hurts. I think I I would marvel too if Jesus called me out like that. To surrender to God is to seek and do his will and not my own. To try and align my heart with God's, what is of value to him, what is important to him, like widows. We see in this in, in this passage. Um, and not do it hollow or half-heartedly like the Pharisees. So, let's, let's drill down even more. What does it look like to give to God what is God? What things are God specifically? The scriptures say that God formed man from the dust and breathed his breath into him. And that he forms us and knits us together in our mother's womb. The breath in us is from God. Are you wasting God's breath on tearing down your brothers and sisters, on slander and gossip, for control and manipulation? Everything that comes out of our mouths should be in surrender to God, to his design. God has formed our eyes. Are we looking at things that are evil? Are we defacing God's imagers through pornography? Are we filling our minds with propaganda and suspicion and hatred towards our brothers and sisters who are lost? God has also formed our bodies, knit it together in our mother's womb. Are we using them to hurt others or, worse, pleasure that is destructive to ourselves? Are we using our own energy for our own vanity and our own gain rather than helping others? We often think that we have a better life planned for ourselves, and we screw up and we distort God's image. and We redefine what life and good mean. This is the story that's been being told from the garden. They redefine what good means and evil means. But if we knew that God had our good in mind, that he's been bent on our flourishing and our good from the beginning, that actually from the beginning, God has been bent on on all those things, so much so that he made a way for us to be restored to him through Jesus, to redeem us and our desires. This is the full life we find through surrendering our will to His, surrendering to God the things that are His, giving up what we think is good, and submitting to His eternal wisdom, like Stephen read in Proverbs. 
trusting that he will do what is good, that he knows what is actually good. When we give our lives wholly to God, there is life and contentment and peace and security and a belonging of identity like no other. Um, We have security, we have identity. We're not missing out. We are not lacking, even when it feels like it. This is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom that has broken into history through Jesus. Um, As Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus has surrendered all his glory and equality with God and put on human flesh and come among us and died on a Roman torture device with criminals. Jesus has rendered to death what is death's and given to us what is his life everlasting by his resurrection. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so we now, when we rest in those things, we look forward to the day when that will be fully realized. When our God will dwell and walk again with us. In the resurrection of the new earth, whoo, Here's to God. (laughs) Now, this is not just a message for those of you who have not yet put your faith in Jesus. Um, If you have not, I'm going to beg and plead with you that you do. Um, (laughs) Now is as good a day as any um, to get right with your maker, to surrender your life and receive goodness and security and identity and um, forgiveness and freedom, we are having a baptism today. And if you want to make that proclamation of faith, you can come talk to Joel. We are not going to stop anyone um, if that is your uh, proclamation, if Jesus is now Lord of your life. But this message is also for the believer, those of us who have been Christians for a good portion of our lives. Right? Like, we don't... You probably know this. We don't just say a prayer and get dunked and then be like, I'm good, right? We often say, okay, God, you can have this piece of my life, but I'm going to keep this, this little part back for myself. We don't actually say that out loud, right? Because we'd be bad Christians. But we say it through our actions. I know that life is busy for everyone, right? We've got work, school, events, sporting events, uh, entertainment, um, all of these things that, that busy up our lives and, you know, kind of make it stressful for us and, and take up our time. But if God only has our Sunday mornings and a prayer before dinner, we are only giving him what is our leftovers, the margins of our life. God has something so much better for us through giving over everything to him. 
How often do we cling so tightly to our hopes and our dreams, to our worries and our fears? How often do we leave God out when things are even going well? When we think that we don't need him, or we mistake our abilities of things going right uh, for his work in our lives. God wants all of us, not just fragments. The Christian life is a constant dying to yourself and a frequent resurrendering to God. It does not stop after you get dunked. I will be on an honest moment for you with you. Uh, the last two years that I have been doing youth ministry here um, have honestly kicked my butt. Uh, I will turn 25 in March, uh, so I'm, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a little young to even be preaching up here this morning. Uh, who am I? Um, in the past, growing up, you can ask my mom, uh, I have never been somebody who has had insecurities. I have been very confident to a fault sometimes, um, a lot of times. Um, and... Doing youth ministry has brought all sorts of unsureness in my life. It has, um, you know, kind of made me wrestle and think through a lot of things. Like, what am I doing? Has God really called me here? Am I supposed to be doing this? Um, am I actually leading them to Jesus? Or am I just stroking my own ego and letting them praise me for teaching them? Um, Am I, am, I any, am I actually more mature than these guys? Like, who am I to teach them, you know? These kids are awesome, and I'm like, dang, you've got a lot more things figured out than I do sometimes. So I'm wrestling through all of this, but <laughs> the Lord has humbled me in a lot of ways and uh, forced me to rely on his spirit and not my own ability. Um, and so... The only solution of what I've known to do a lot of, night, a lot of times is wrestling through all of this on my way up to Hollyview uh, before youth group. I sit in my truck, and it's about a 10 to 15 minute drive. I turn off all my music, turn off all my YouTube videos. And I just say, okay, God, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, you obviously change hearts and minds. I don't discipleship and all of this stuff is only going to happen through your spirit moving among us. So I know I've prepared with what I can. Your will be done. And let me tell you, it has been so relieving to see God working things together for his good, but also my good, and also all of the students' good. I'm a crybaby now, too. This is all the insecurity coming out. <laughs> I never cried as a teenager or a kid, but man. It has forced me to rely on his spirit and see how he is doing and working things together for his good and others. Christians for the last 2,000 years have prayed the Lord's Prayer every day. They have prayed your will be done, as Jesus did on the Mount of Olives. So my challenge for us today is this, that we pray, your will be done. 
that we pray it from the depths of our hearts, that we attempt to live it out as we seek to align our heart and will to God's, to bring our whole lives before him and say, all right, not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer of surrender. Praying your will be done is an act of surrender. When we pray this, it, you know, they say prayer works. And a lot of times it changes us. Praying this prayer changes us from the inside out. We begin to see the security and identity and goodness and true life we have access to in Jesus that has been right under our nose the whole time. It's the type of prayer that when we see how we are being changed and what God is doing, we should want to run through the streets of our town proclaiming God's goodness and screaming at the top of our lungs to the buildings and people. That even when life is going terrible and we feel like failures, we can say, isn't God wonderful? He's doing something in me. That when God crushes our hopes and our dreams and does not give us what we want, which he does often, we can say, isn't it wonderful? God's doing something in me. That when the cancer diagnosis comes, we can say, isn't it wonderful? God is doing something in me. We're almost to the end, I promise. (laughs) That when you have no money in your bank account or any money in your building and loan and the bank is coming for you, and you arrive at your doorstep and they're there to arrest you, you can say, isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you so much for your goodness, the security we have in you, the life that you have brought to us through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that um, as we go about our weeks, that we would pray your will be done, that we would seek to live it out, that you would begin to change us from the inside out, that we would see the wonderful life you have uh, right beneath our nose that you've had this whole time. And um, I just pray that this message would encourage, confront those of us that need to be confronted, encourage those of us who need to be encouraged. And um, I pray for these kids getting baptized today, Lord, that you're making a proclamation of their faith in you. And this is good. And I pray that you would bless them, cling tightly to them, hold them close, never let them stray from your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, 
Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.